If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to go to two passages of Scripture this morning. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, and then we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're dealing with our sermon series entitled, Theology Matters. And today we continue that series. This is going to be a two-part message. This morning and next week will be also in celebration of Father's Day. I will be celebrating and thanking God for uh, our wonderful fathers and the men in our lives who have taught us. Uh, so today we begin, uh, last couple of weeks we've talked about the doctrine of the Holy Scriptures, and we've talked about God last week and what kind of God the Bible has uh, revealed to us that He is. And today I want to bring to your mind what the Bible teaches about man and mankind. What we believe has lasting impact in our life. What you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about the Bible, what you believe about sin and righteousness, has an impact in this life and in the life to come. And so it's important that the church have a sound teaching, a sound doctrine concerning uh, theology. And so today I want to bring to your mind that which the Word of God says about us, about mankind, and about men in particular. And there are two passages of Scripture that I would like for us to be reading. The first one, as I mentioned, is in Genesis 2. Then we're going to head over to, Gen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45. And the book of Genesis, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were created, and all their host. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And the Lord blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because he rested for all his work which he had created and made. If you would go down to verse 7 now. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And God, the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord also caused every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now if you would, go down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And man gave names to the cattle and the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was found no helper suitable for him. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had made from man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has taken, was taken out of the man. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth earthly, the second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, who will bear, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you once again for your presence. We pray that you would bless our meditation on your word this morning. Bless my lips of clay to preach your word and anoint me to do that. And I pray that you would anoint this congregation to receive the word sown in the soil of our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to use for a subject this morning, as we talk about the subject of man, mankind in general, and manhood in particular, I want to use the subject, the plow and the sword. I believe that the Bible in the book of Genesis reveals to us two tools or implements that God has specifically placed in the hands of mankind, and that these implements are spiritual as well as natural. And they are important for us as we uh, seek to carry out God's will for our life. But first, I want you to walk through the chapter that we have just read out of, sec of uh, Genesis chapter 2. Walk through it with me as we look at what the Bible says about man. What does the Bible teach us about the human race and about uh, mankind? The world that you and I live in, the nation that you and I live in, has uh, thrown off the idea of Genesis. It has thrown off the teaching of the Word of God. And so many today teach and some even preach that God created the world through evolution. Others denying God altogether decide that the world was the product of a chance event, the Big Bang, that resulted in the evolution of man as we know him today. But I want you to know what the Bible says because the Bible is a record of history from the perspective of God who is the author of history. And so there are some important things that we need to know as a church and as Christians and as human beings in this life that we need to know about God and about what he has made us for. First of all, we need to acknowledge that the Bible teaches that man is a special creation by God. Man is not the result of evolution. Man is not the descendant of the ape or some other form. But he is a special and unique creation by God. When God created the stars and the moon, he said, this is good. When he created the planet and he put green trees and herbs on the planet Earth, 
he said, this is good. When he created the lakes and the rivers and the streams, he said, this is good. When he put fish in those waters and he put um, the, the great beasts of the sea into the oceans, he said, this is good. When he made the cattle for the land and the, and the creatures of the sky, he said, this is good. But when he made man, he said, this is very good. So tomorrow morning when you look in the mirror, I want you to say, this is very good. That's what God sees in man. A special and unique creation designed by God. In fact, the Bible says that man was made in the image and likeness of God. Man was made to be like God in his image and likeness. Some people think that means that if God had a nose, then man has a nose. If God has two hands, then man was created with two hands. But that's not what we're referring to. We're referring to the fact that God made man triune just as he is. The Bible teaches us that God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A trinity, a holy trinity. One God eternally existing in three persons. And so when he created man... He created man in three parts, the spirit, the soul, and the body. He also gave man the capacity to reason, to imagine, to create, to design. He made man with abilities that the, the animals do not have and which the creatures of this world do not have. You've never seen beavers. You've seen them build a dam, but they've never built a skyscraper. And they have never established a nation. Why? Because God made something unique and special when he made you and when he made me. He made us in his image to be like him, to reflect him, and to be uh, the, create, the creators upon the earth. What God does today, he does through men. When God wants to establish something in the earth, he establishes it through men and women, in particular, men and women of faith. The third thing I need to say about this is the Bible said that God made them male and female. God established the genders. I know that right now America is in a bit of a revolution and everybody is kind of wondering where the chips are going to land and what all of this means. I'll tell you simply that you and I don't need to worry about where the chips land and we don't have to worry about what all of this means. God has told us what he has designed. He created them in the beginning, male and female. I read the other day something concerning this gender issue that there are now more than 50 gender designations. Friends, as far as God is concerned, this is nothing more than confusion that has come from the very kingdom of darkness to distort the image and plan that God had for man. And so you and I in particular as the church, we need to walk in the understanding of what God has said in his word. And if there is a diversion, or if there is a, a uh, moving away from that truth, either in the mind of one of uh, the people in this room or one of the, your loved ones, then the answer is not to change what God created. The answer is to go to the God who made you and to seek from Him healing and to seek from Him deliverance and to seek from Him clarity about who He created you 
to be. Now, I knew this morning when I started this out, I wasn't going to get too many amens because uh, half of you believe me, but you are afraid to say it. So I don't mind all that. I just want you to know what the Word of God says. And I want you to know what the Word of God says because the culture is not above the Word of God. The culture does not redefine the Word of God. And Jesus himself, Jesus to me, he's my final court of arbitration. Jesus said that in the beginning, God made them male and female. Guess what? If Jesus believed it, and if Genesis teaches it, I'm all right with believing it, and I'm all right with teaching it as the word of God. Let somebody say amen this morning. Now, I want you to notice the pattern then. God takes this man that he has made, and this is an interesting Words that the Bible uses to describe the making of man. When God describes making Adam, it says that he, he formed him or made him out of the dust of the ground. This is a unique statement because the word ground, the word dirt in, uh, in Hebrew is the word Adama. And the word man is the word Adam. So what we have here is an Adam made from the Adama. And we have a man that God created out of dust. And literally it means that God squeezed the dust and made a man. That's why women are different than men, all right? Because when God created a woman, the Bible said he formed her, he shaped her. But a man, he just kind of squeezed like mud in his hand. All right, so that just explains all you need to know right there um, about the great differences, doesn't it? And, and he made a man just kind of squeeze that that, that creature uh, out of the dirt, out of the dust, and he put his life in him. He put spirit in him. He breathed into his nostrils. And that, that heap of dust took in a breath and became a living soul. And as a result, you and I today are a living soul because we are the very breath of God, uh, exists by the very breath of God. And then God created woman. He made her, as I said, he fashioned her out of a rib. So don't anybody ever tell you that, uh, don't let anybody tell you that women are weak because they're made out of a bone, all right? That means there, there, are, there is strength in a woman. But you see, then we see God, before he had created Eve, that some things happened. First of all, he, the Bible said that he took the man and he planted him in the garden. Literally, the term that is used to describe placing Adam in the garden is that he established him. He planted him in the garden. God gave Adam a mission right from the beginning. And I want you to know this, that you and I, men uh, and women, all have a mission from God. Your first duty is to figure out what is God's mission for my life. What is God's mandate for my life? What has God created me for? And when you and I live for that mission, friend, we will find fulfillment that you will not know in any other place or any other way. You know, sometimes our mission changes as we grow older. I think the mission of a child is to learn and to be developed into maturity. But then the mission of a man is quite different from the mission of a child. And the mission of a woman is different from the mission of a, of a little girl. And so it, as you go into adulthood, your mission changes. It gets clarified and defined. And then maybe you go into the senior years of your life and your mission changes a little more. It's no longer about one thing but now another. 
The important thing is always to be on the mission that God has given for your life. And to be about the business of the Father who made you. Now the Bible also says that God gave Adam special revelation. God said something to him that would be the first words of God recorded uh, between God and man. He said to Adam, he said, of the trees of the garden you may eat, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now I want you to just think about how amazing that is. That God squeezes a man out of the dust, breathes life into that man, and then talks to him, and relates to him, and has a communion with him. I don't know if you understand this or not, but I'm telling you about a God who is so big and so great that he could create the world with a word, and yet he cares enough about you to talk to you and to reveal himself to you. God revealed himself to Adam, and in doing so, he revealed his will to Adam. This is our duty as well as human beings, to discover and do the will of God. You know that it is our responsibility before God to discover and do the will of God. I'm convinced that the reason many Christians do not pray and ask God what is his will is because they already know what his will is, but they don't want to do it. And so sometimes it's just easier to pretend that we didn't know what God wanted us to do. Friend, it is your duty before God to say, Lord, what would you have me do? What is your will? Adam had been given the revelation of the will of God. He was given clear instructions by God. And then God, having revealed his will and his purpose, gives Adam this command. He says, I want you to cultivate and keep the garden. Now, I have chosen two words here that I want you to see as a picture. The word cultivate is like a plow. Now, I know probably nobody in here has had to plow anything recently. And uh, maybe some of you at some point have even seen a plow. But basically, a plow was an instrument that is used to tear open the soil or the dirt to prepare it for the seed, which will later become the planting of a crop in a field. And so Adam's first responsibility is the plow. Can I tell you this morning that God has given to you a plow. He's given to you a task and a responsibility. And especially those of you this morning who are men, we have been given a plow. We as men have been given a responsibility before God. And God has clearly defined what our task is before him. The plow has several um, meanings that you and I can look at this morning. In particular, it's referring to the word cultivation. I don't want you to see the responsibilities of a man laid out in this instrument of the, of the field. First of all, we understand that Adam's responsibility was to bring order out of chaos. That is the first responsibility of a leader, is to bring order out of chaos. Do you know, church, that God created you? God put a plow in your hands so that you could bring order to chaos, so that you can bring order to disorder. When you put that plow on the field, that plow begins to rip through the chaos of stones and, and thorns and thistles and roots, systems of, and weeds that do not belong there. And so it is that you and I have been given the responsibility as men to take the plow and to bring order to chaos. 
And so as believers as well, did you know that just a believer walking into a setting can bring order to chaos? Just the presence of a Christian who walks in integrity can bring order into chaotic situations. And that is my prayer, Lord, let me bring order out of chaos. You know, sometimes I'll see at a restaurant a, a young family, and they're having a hard time with a baby, or not a baby, but a two- or three-year-old, and he's throwing forks and spoons and such, and, and they look at me, and they're like, oh, he never acts like this. I don't know why he's doing that in this fancy restaurant. Now, all of a sudden, he's just uh, he's acting up, but I think, you know, I probably think that at home, this is normal. And order is abnormal. So when you bring, when you bring a, a disorder into order, it's abnormal. It is uncomfortable. And the same is true when you bring order into chaos. But that is the responsibility of every man, and that is the responsibility of the Christian to say God is a God of order, and God has established in us the ability to set things in order. One of the most uh, commonly used phrases about a man is get your affairs in order. Set your house in order, friend. Especially uh, to the men, I want to say this. Often men are reactive rather than proactive. Generally, uh, when I look around, I see too many men who are, instead of, instead of getting ahead of trouble, are responding to trouble. Guys, God has called us to be up front, to be the one who says there's chaos here and God has ordained me to bring order to this house and order to this community and to establish the will of God in this life and in this generation. I know that this isn't necessarily something we want to hear because it's easier to say the disorder is somebody else's fault. The disorder is somebody else's problem. No, friend. The disorder is my fault. It's my problem. I have to do something about it. God has equipped you and I to do something about it. Say amen, somebody. You and I have a responsibility to take the plow and to bring order and righteousness to the chaos of our lives. The second thing we see in this work of, of, Abram, of, of Adam's was that it was the work of a nurturer. When you take the plow to cultivate land, you are going to nurture the land. You're going to nurture the plants that you are going to be planting. Can I say to the men this morning that God has put in your life things and people that he wants you to nurture. Things and people that he wants you to cultivate. We often think that nurturing is a woman's role. And thank God for mamas and their nurturing. But you know that there is just as much nurturing that can come from a father as there is that comes from a mother. It's just different. It's a different kind of nurture. I remember um, uh, one time as a young man, I was probably 12 or 13 years old, and my, my mother gave me permission to decorate the house, the, the, to put the Christmas lights on the outside of the house. So uh, we had a, a really tall roof, and I decided I was going to get up there and, you know, do this whole Christmas light arrangement. Well, I didn't know how a roof system worked, so I got these, these uh, tacks that I found. You know, the uh, roofing tacks are about an inch long, really thick, and they have a top, a really uh, uh, big head. And I went on the, on the very ridge line of the roof, and every foot put a tack in the roof. Now, you guys who know roofing, you're like, oh, my goodness, he's, he's going to create roof damage. And that's exactly what I did. I put, I put tacks all along that roof, and it was the best-looking light display you ever did see. 
But when dad got home and he looked up there, he started to study that thing, he called me over and I got a little nurture real quick. And he provided me with my very own b b bottle of uh, caulking and a caulking gun. He said, you're going to get up there and you're going to fill those holes. And he taught me what a roof does and how a roof works. You see, it's not just like mama's nurturing, but it's just as important because he was cultivating in me a sense of the fact, number one, you're responsible. Number two, if you fix it, you break, if you break it, you fix it. And it gave me a sense of the fact that nobody is responsible for cleaning up my mess but me. And so if there's going to be order in my life, I've got to bring order and I've got to bring this disorder into the disorder. And when a, when a man takes his responsibility to nurture and to cultivate the men and the women in his life, the sons and the daughters, and even to nurture the, the uh, extended family in his life, he's doing the very work of God. He's doing the very thing that God has committed him to doing. And so, men, how can you nurture your family? Spend time with them. Talk to them. Listen to them. Learn from them. Explore. Take them on a walk, a hike, or a vacation. Uh, go swimming. Go fishing. Go hunting. Volunteer together. Do whatever you can to spend time with your family and nurture the plant that God has put in the, in the soil of your life for the glory of God and for the sake of a nation that is desperately in need of men who will nurture. You realize that we have a crisis in America. The crisis in America is the, is, the, is the lack of fathers in the home. It is the lack of men being nurturers and being cultivators of the gifts and callings of God upon their home and their children. Can I just challenge you this morning to take this responsibility seriously. Take the plow in your home. Take the plow in your marriage and nurture what God has given you. And watch those little saplings grow to become great trees of righteousness for a generation that needs righteous men and women as never before. And when you do that, you're doing the work that God created you to do. The final part of this is that a man was, Adam was put in the garden. He was given this plow in order that he might serve. The great responsibility of Adam was to be a servant. He was a servant of God and he was a servant of the creation. He was going to be a servant to his family. He was going to be a servant to the, to the a world that God had made. Brothers, I want you to know this this morning, that biblical masculinity is expressed when you and I decide to serve and sacrifice rather than be served. Because that is what Jesus did for us. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I have come to serve and give my life as a ransom for the many. You see, this is the, the great call of God, not only upon men, but especially upon men. The call to serve. You know, in America, we have a problem, as I stated. One of the problems is that we have two extremes. On the one hand, you have the machos, right? These are the guys that don't, don't need to learn anything. They already know everything, and they're not going to learn anything from anybody, especially a woman, right? And then on the other hand, you have the wimps. And those guys over there aren't going to do anything. They don't want to accomplish anything. They're just waiting 
for something fun to come along so they can join the band. Well, guess what? Neither one of those are God's man. God's man is a leader. God's man is a servant. God's man arises and says, I'm going to take the initiative to do what God designed me and created me to do. And guys, when you and I walk in that, we walk in the very image of the creator that made us. How Adam was given this task of cultivation. But he was also given the task of being the guardian. God said, I want you to cultivate and guard the garden. I want you to protect it. And now we see that not only does God give men a plow, but he also gives men a sword. He gives them a weapon with which to defend their home and to defend their life. And I thank God because when I look around this church, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about all the men in this church who I have seen live out these virtues in their day-to-day life. And this one in particular is so important for the spiritual life of the nation is to have men who know how to use the sword. Now, this sword, I think, is three, three parts. First of all, it is the sword of labor. You know that God put a, 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 a tool in man's hand so that he could defend the financial future of his home. And that is a four-letter word spelled W-O-R-K. It's a bad word, I know. But work is the sword that God has put in the hand of every man. Let me hear an amen. amen. Let me hear an amen from the men. Because you see, this is what separates the men from the boys, isn't it? Is the knowledge that work is not just something I have to do. But when I work, I am defending the family by providing for them and providing for their future. And that God gives this responsibility to us is a privilege without end. It is a joy to know that we can serve God and serve our family and serve our church. And so, ladies, if you have a husband who gets up every morning and goes to work, give that man a hand, tell him how proud of him you are, and celebrate him because you are not, the, uh, you have something not everybody has. This is not an altar call, all right? This is not an altar call. You have something not everybody has. And men, let me just tell you, young men in particular, if you are living um, on somebody else's dime right now and you are not working, get a job, get a job this week. Come on, somebody. Get a job and get a job this week. Oh, but I'm just waiting for a management position, Pastor. I'm really just waiting for something that's in my pay grade. Listen, your responsibility is work. And when you take that responsibility seriously and you are wielding the sword of financial protection for your family, I am glad that ladies work. I am glad that they have a salary, they make an income. But gentlemen, that's on you first. Now listen, ladies, young ladies, if you're not married yet, read Genesis 2 very carefully. Because, because look, before Adam had a wife, listen, before he had a wife, he had a relationship with God and a job. I thought I could get an amen right there. See, don't marry a man so you can find him a relationship with God and a job. All right, that's not a man. 
That's not a man. That's a boy. You want to find a husband who is already in connection with God, who already knows God's will for his life, and who has a job. Is this too much? Does theology matter? Yeah, I bet you bet it does. Now he put another sword in his hand. That's the sword of physical strength. Now I know there are some women that are stronger than men, some men. All right, but in general, God has given men superior physical strength. And as Pastor Jimmy Evans said, the only reason he didn't give women that kind of strength was so they wouldn't take over the world. All right? So he kind of understand why God had to do that. But he's given men strength. Why did God make you strong? Why did God make you uh, able to do some things, to lift some things, to accomplish some things that a woman can't accomplish? Friend, it's simply this. God has made you the protector of your home. He has made you the protector of your family. So when you hear something go bump in the night, you don't say, honey, what was that? Go check. You get up and you go, right? Because that's, that is God's gift to you. He made you strong. He made you able to defend and protect. Why? Because when you protect, listen, when you protect, you're doing what God does for you and I. You are reflecting the image of God because Jesus didn't run from the house that was on fire. He ran into the house that was on fire and he saved us and he rescued us. And when you and I do that, we are walking in his image and his likeness. Now the third sword here is the sword of the word of God. You see, there are, there are some things that you cannot ever accomplish in this life until you learn to wield the sword of the word of God. And there is nothing more scary to the devil than men who know how to use the word of God. Than women that know how to use the word of God. Come on somebody. The Bible said that the word is the sword of the spirit. The word of God is a defense against the schemes and, and the strategies of the devil. And when, when you and I take the sword of the word. And we, we wield it for the defense of our home and the defense of our family. That you and I can stand over what God has given us and say, devil, you have no part in this. This is blessed by God. This belongs to the Lord. And the word of God is your defense and it is your sword. So take up the word of God. And when you do that, you are reflecting the very nature of God, the very image of God. Now let me just tell you about this man, Adam, because now God gave him a helpmate. He gave him a woman to help him do what he had been designed to do. And listen, when, when Adam and Eve came together, they became a powerhouse for the will of God in their, in their world. And so I want to just share this briefly before I go on. That God created marriage, and he created it as a blessing, and he created it as an institution that he wants established in every generation. And listen, young men especially, if you have not been called by God to be single and to serve him in the ministry for, for in singleness, then you need to grow up and find a wife, a good wife. And marry her, do right by her, provide for her, take care of her, nurture her, love her. Because that is what Jesus has done for the church. 
And if you've been called to singleness or you're in singleness right now, then live out your life in purity before God because that is the call of God upon your life. All right, it's getting too quiet in here this morning. Now, this man took the plow. And he started, he started drawing a line, a furrow. And somewhere along the way, this perfect man named Adam lost his edge. And that line, that furrow, went crooked. And the plow, there's nothing wrong with the plow, but the plowman lost his way. And when Adam fell, all of us fell with him. That's why every time you and I take our plow, we can't draw a straight line with it. Listen, friends, the sin nature will not allow you to live a straight line. There will always be a tendency toward error, a tendency toward the fall, a tendency toward sin, because that is the nature of man since the fall of Adam. And if you could just take this picture of the plow, you imagine Adam on that plow, and he goes astray, and now because he did that, all of us by nature, we go astray. You know, we've all done it, haven't we? We draw a real straight line for a time, and then we get off course. And we say, I'll never do that again, Jesus. We get back on line, get back behind that plow, and we draw another straight line for a moment, but then we get off course. We say, Lord, that was the last time. I'm never going to fail you again. And on and on and on it goes. The pattern of man's failure is endless and it is comprehensive. It is all of us. All of us have drawn a, a crooked line with a plow. That's why 2,000 years ago, God made a second man. God sent a second Adam we read about it. The Apostle Paul says that the first Adam was from the earth and he was earthly. He was Adame that was from, uh, he was Adam made from the Adame. But the second man was from heaven, heavenly. He was God, God. Just like Adam was dirt, so Jesus was God. And this man, the second Adam, came and he became a man. And listen, he put on the plow of the righteousness of God. And he began to draw that line straight down. One line, two lines, three lines. 33 years of absolute moral perfection lived out by the son of the living God. And then he reached the end of the furrow. And he stretched out his arms. And he died for the sins of the world. So that all who would believe could have life through him. Hallelujah for the Christ. The second Adam, the Lamb of God, Jesus has drawn the line. Jesus has taken the plow. And you all know it because one day that plow came to the hardness of your heart. That heart that was full of stones and thorns. That heart that was saying, I'll never have anything to do with God. I'll never have anything to do with Jesus. I'll never have anything to do with church. Don't read no Bible to me. But then one day the gospel plow came through there. 
One day, Jesus brought order to your disorder. One day, Jesus brought a breaking to the sin nature, and he set within you the spirit of the living God. And now, he's nurturing you and cultivating you and growing you. And that little tree that you thought would never become anything is becoming a mighty oak of the righteousness of God because the man, Christ Jesus, has come to nurture and he's taken the word of God, the sword of the spirit. He's put it into your hands. Because he's your protector and your defender. If you're looking for a perfect man, don't look up. Don't look around. Look up. You can find many good men in this church. Many good men in this house of God. You'll find many men who are diligent about the plow and diligent about the sword. But we've all drawn a crooked line. There is only one man who never drew a crooked line. Look to him. Look to Jesus, the author and the perfection of our faith. Look to Jesus, whose saving grace is able to deliver you, to set you on the course that God created you to have. When you say to him, Lord, come and bring order to my disorder. He'll do that. Sometimes he knocks on the door. We say, well, not right, not right now, Lord. Things are not really in good order. He says to you, that's why I'm here. I want to bring order to your chaos. I want to bring Structure to your destruction. Listen, I don't know what's going on in every single home in our church. I know what's going on in general in, in many places in our hearts. And I know that many times our minds have chaos because of trouble and circumstances and because of past hurts and because of pains of yesterday and so on. And I also know this, that Jesus alone can bring order to the chaos of your life. And just as you read in Genesis 1, where the Bible said that the earth was without form and void, there was chaos there, but the Spirit of God hovered upon it and brought order to that disorder. So the Spirit of God is hovering over your heart this morning, and he says, if you'll let me in, if you'll let me through, I will make you what you can't make yourself. And I will do in you the miracle work. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just bow your heads in prayer? Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the last man, the second Adam. Your word says that the first Adam was earthly, but the second Adam was heavenly. The first Adam brought death. The second Adam brings life. I pray this morning that if there's anyone in this, within the sound of my voice who has not received the life-giving grace of God, that there would be nothing today that could hinder the plow of the Spirit from reaching that heart and bringing deliverance to their mind and to their spirit. God, I pray for anyone, no matter how far they may feel from you, 
that today they would sense the drawing of the Father and come to Christ. Lord, I ask you for this because their eternal soul is in the, in the balance. Let none perish this morning because they didn't say yes to Christ. Make yourself known to them, I pray. Bring conviction of sin and of wrath and of judgment. And Lord, I pray that you would do that this morning for the glory of God. If there's anybody here this morning that would say, Pastor Isaac, I need God to bring order into some chaotic places in my life. Maybe it's chaos in your emotions or chaos in your health or chaos in your relationships or chaos in the lives of a loved one. Whatever it may be, I want you to come to this altar and I'm going to ask the elders to come. And we're going to unite in prayer this morning, believing that God can bring order to your chaos. Elders, would you come? Prayer team, would you come? And then if you want prayer this morning, you say, I need God to hover over my life and bring peace and bring order to my life. I want you to come. And if you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus, would you just come and pray with one of these in the prayer team this morning? They'll lead you to Christ this morning so that you get to know exactly who he is. And if you want to come into this altar and just go before the Lord privately, please do that this morning. But would you come this morning if you say, Pastor Isaac, I need God to set his righteousness over my life. I need God to establish himself in my marriage, in my family, in my home, in my heart. 